Hello, and welcome to a show of their own, Sports and Life with Morgan and Laura. I'm Morgan. And I'm Laura. And I'm the reason that we're here a day late, so I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I woke up with the worst throat pain in the world and nothing else. Uh, no other symptoms. Uh, I'm not going out anywhere, so don't worry. And I don't think I have COVID because a sore throat with nothing else is not really COVID-like symptoms. So. Yeah, it just doesn't make for good uh, podcasting. No, it would have been very <laughs> painful. Yeah. So we delayed a day, but I feel much better now. I drank tea like it was going out of style yesterday, and we're all good. Um, but with that, I'm going to turn it over to Morgan, who has all of our MLB updates for the week. Yeah, so there's um, two kind of big things I want to talk about and two small things. So we'll get the small things out of the way first. Uh, George Springer signed with the Blue Jays, six years, 150 million. I think it's still pending physical, but I'm pretty sure he's gonna pass that, and it's fine. Um, just kind of weird. Didn't really expect the Blue Jays to be the team he went with. They weren't really mentioned, were they much? No, and they're kind of like a meh kind of team. Like they could be good, they could be. Eh. They just got a like lot of young players, so. I think right now George Springer is technically their veteran player on the team. Um, and Springer's 31. So I, I guess I just kind of more expected a more obvious like contender type team to go for him or even just for him to stay with the Astros. Mm-hmm. Just because I feel like outside of uh, uh, why did I, t- I just blanked on every Astros. Um, Jose Altuve. I feel like George Springer is kind of like the face of that team outside Mm of him. Um, So it's kind of weird seeing him leave that. Uh, I kind of wondered, though, if a lot of Astros were going to leave because as long as they were Mm -hmm. Astros, they were so tied to the scandal. Yeah. And not like they'll not be tied, but I think people won't associate him that much if they're not on the Astros. Right. But for me, as a Ranger fan, I'm glad he went to a team that I already previously hated I don't currently hate the Blue Jays but now it's kind of like okay well it's not a new team I've never hated before that I now have to hate because of their association with George Springer um so I'm kind of fine with it it's just kind of weird I'm glad personally though the Rangers also don't have to play him play against him there were all there were a lot of Mets rumors and I'm really glad he didn't go there Mm -hmm. I didn't want to have to dislike the Mets because I kind of just root for the Mets because I feel sorry I want them now that they're getting like good players I kind of want to root for them yeah um the other big news was Kike Hernandez signed with the Red Sox for two years 14 million kind of not a lot for him I feel like he's a pretty notable player too from the Dodgers kind of surprised he went with the Red Sox uh but those have been like the two did you see Two the Red Sox and Yankees traded today? That was pretty crazy. Yes. It was just a cap dump or I guess salary dump. Yeah. Uh, weird because I feel like they don't do very many they, trades. I think it's the there. second trade in like both franchises history. Yeah. And all it basically was is the Yankees needed some room so they weren't luxury tax. And the Red Sox have a ton of room because they were not good. And so they just got a prospect. For, yeah. Like, a bad salary. I, there, there weren't really any notable names for me as far as I'm not a I don't know fan who or a Red Adam Sox fan. Is. I just thought it was weird that they were trading. Yeah. Cause when I, even when I got the notification, I was like, I, this isn't a notable name. And I guess, unless you're a fan of either of those franchises, but I guess the, I feel like the noteworthy thing should have just been Yankees in Boston trade. And that should have been like the headline on the notifications. Like, <laughs> no I don't one care died. Who they yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the next thing I want to talk about, which was kind of, was all over Twitter, I think this was Thursday night. We're recording Monday, so days are really extra off for me. Um, but Ken Rosenthal wrote a piece about Trevor Bauer. And when I say he wrote a piece about him, it felt very PR-ish, which... He let, he, he let uh, Trevor write a piece using his byline basically um and you know a lot a lot of the uh, things Ken Rosenthal has written lately between this and his hall of fame ballot uh article I've kind of been very 
annoyed with Ken Rosenthal. Like I used to really enjoy his thoughts and he seemed to be like one of the good reporters. And lately I'm kind of a little like, mm, I'm not so sure about you because I feel like his Hall of Fame article, which we uh, talked about last episode, was very dismissive of some things. And like he did genuinely, genuinely seem conflicted with his votes, but then again, he still cast the votes um, and kind of gave excuses for why he did it. And then his piece about Trevor Bauer was very like dismissive of how he acts on social media. And MLB does this a lot with Bauer and that is dismissing him as like the rebel of MLB and he's just more outspoken than any other player. And that's just who he is. And he's abrasive and blah, blah, he's a bully. Like it's not any of those things we should be celebrating. And Rosenthal updated this article like four different times that night and like posted it four different times that night. And it was kind of ridiculous. Um, but the, I think what sums it up best was Kate Feldman's uh, quote tweet of it. And she said, this Ken Rosenthal, Rosenthal article one designates harassment as controversial two implies an uh, implies said harassment is less important because it wasn't sexual and three incorrectly states that the harassment has stopped. Also, not only did he like do all those things in the article, he included like names and places of where those journalists work or slash people that work that Trevor has harassed. And also by harass, it is him saying stuff and then also inciting his followers to say (laughs) stuff. Sound familiar? Um, And I'm just so tired of hearing about him. Like there are plenty of other pitchers who are actually good and good humans that we could be giving light to and instead it's always about him the thing I was thinking too is because this past week the uh a piece in the athletic came out about Mike Babcock and it was an interview and it was clearly a setup because he was going to be on NBC yeah sports for the first time but it was like literally his controversies are like headlined as the sections so it's like Mitch Marner incident and then it describes what happens and then it's long quotes of just what he said and it's not a lot of interjection from Pierre Lebrun who's the guy who wrote it and then it's like Johan Franz an incident and then it explains what happened and then it explains just like gives his thing now a lot of people were upset with that and I don't really think that that's fair because he's not pretending to offer an opinion piece it's just like here is what he says Mm -hmm. have your opinion it's kind of like I think with a real connection with that Emily Matlis did with Prince Andrew she didn't tell him everything he said that was a contradiction she just let him make the contradictions and then all of us can see it yeah and I think he didn't like he the difference is He, like, there's no bias in the framing from Pierre LeBron. It's just a very straightforward, here's what happened, here's what he has to say about it. And I think that's where the problem is, is that you can say it's not an opinion piece, but if you frame it with certain words, then it kind of is an opinion piece. Yeah, and it felt very much, because I, what, my, I read the article, but again, it was like a couple days ago. Um, cause the Mets, I believe are interested in Bauer and, uh, which I don't almost, get cause they have DeGrom. Yeah. Like they don't need Bauer. No. Um, and the thing about it is, is like the whole piece was almost like as if he was Bauer's agent trying to sell him to the team. Like, well, look how good he is and he's controversial, but he's not that bad. And there was even one paragraph in there that mentioned like his teammates don't have a problem with him. And someone in their replies was like, how do you know that? Did you interview every teammate? Also, a teammate isn't going to say something for fear of retribution. Like, <laughs> well, and it's different. Okay. Like, just because my coworkers don't have a problem with me doesn't mean I'm a good worker. Right. Exactly. Like, two different things. And now, I'm not completely also- d- separate because if you are, if your teammates don't like you, that's a problem. Right. But also, just because he doesn't bully his teammates doesn't mean he's still not bullying on Twitter. Yeah. See um, Tony D'Angelo. <laughs> um, final MLB thing, Hank Aaron passed away last week. And I 
I a couple of years ago for Christmas, my mom bought me a whole bunch. I had a whole list of baseball books that I wanted to read. One of them is his, and kind of I'm like mad at myself that I'm like, oh well, he passed away, so I should put that at the top of my list now. Um, but I guess it's just one of those things that I'm like, well, I like encouraged to read more about him, which is sad that I'm doing it after he passed. Um, but he was 86. He's in the Hall of Fame. I I didn't start watching baseball till like 10 years ago, so there's a lot of like historical players that I admittedly and sadly don't know as much as I should about him um but his career was freaking amazing I wrote down a bunch of stats so he had 700 755 career home runs that was the most over three decades until Barry Bonds took the lead uh he played 23 seasons which seems like so much and I feel like there are very few careers that go 20 seasons but not only did he do 23 seasons 21 of those with the same team in Atlanta Braves which not very many team players are even like one team players now let alone 20 plus seasons with one team he had like a marriage yeah <laughs> yeah um he hit 40 or more home runs eight times, 20 or more home runs in 20 consecutive seasons. He was an all-star from 1955 to 1975. He played 23 seasons and had 25 all-star game appearances, which doesn't make sense to me, but I was told that they probably had all-star games, like two all-star games a season. I didn't fact check that. I should have, but in my head, I was like, well, that makes sense. That's the only way you can have 25 appearances. That's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah. Um. He has he holds the record for RBIs at 2,297, uh, most total bases, extra base hits, most all-star appearances. Uh, I have <laughs> I'm really bad at my notes in that I don't write them in order and that they're just kind of scatterbrained like my own brain, so it doesn't really truly help. Um, he's third in the most hits in baseball behind Pete Rose and Ty Cobb. Uh, he was inducted in the Hall of Fame in 1982. He was the first ballot Hall of Famer. He got 97.89% of vote. Out and of all the other 2% of people were smoking something. Right. Um, and I, this may not be as interesting as I perceived it to be, but I think I also found it perceived interesting because I learned this stat on a hockey broadcast, and that is that of his 755 home runs, only one was inside the park which inside the park home runs are very rare, but I feel like if you have 750 home runs, maybe like four or five of those are inside the park, not just one. Um, he only had one MVP, one World Series win, three gold gloves, and two NL batting titles, which to me, I'm like, hmm, you can, I don't want to call it racism, but it kind of feels like that when you're that good of a player and you only have like one MVP season. And you look at the time that he yeah. played um he got the presidential medal of freedom in 2002 for philanthropy and humanitarian work that he did he was obviously a big social rights and uh advocate um i did want to mention an article that i read that was really good um because and it's also written by a uh black writer which i purposely went and seeked out because I saw a lot of people mentioning that in their articles and they do this a lot with Jackie Robinson as well and even MLK they always say he was he was never angry he never got mad he was always like even if he got like racial taunts and whatever he was very like calm and in this article it mentioned that like well they kind of had to be like why they didn't have the opportunity to lash out even if they wanted to and it talks about how um like white men and white people in general are more apt to uh, talk about black people, especially in that time period as being like calm and gentle. And that was one of the reasons why like Jackie Robinson is Jackie Robinson. Like they, they didn't, they called him Jackie because it was more like friendly kind of a thing. Um, and the article is written by Bradford William Davis. I retweeted it on my account. Um, 
And his tweet says, I wrote about Henry Hank Aaron and why the Hammer's legacy was MLK dayed within minutes of his death. And um, it's on the new the New York Daily News.com. Um, and basically he kind of equated uh, how we talk about Hank Aaron to how we talk about MLK, where you know, there's always certain quotes people use from MLK, but he also called out a lot of racism and what may be perceived as a very harsh tone or harsh way, but a very, like, he had every right to call it what it was. And so I thought it was a very interesting and very good read. Um, I also retweeted something from the New York Times from 1997 in which uh, Hank Aaron wrote about uh, Jackie Robinson 50 years after his debut. And I thought both of those articles were really important reads. For sure. And that's all I got for MLB. So for hockey, I, I wrote a lot of stuff. Um, yes. I have a few general news things that I wanted to get out of the way. Uh, a pre I'm going to preemptively rest in peace NBC Sports Network at the end of 2021. <sighs> it is going away. Who knows? At one point, hockey was on the outdoor network. So who the heck knows where we're going to end up? We've been I think everywhere. It's been I, talked about USA Network, I think. Yeah. And I know the contract is up soon, so it might not go to NBC. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if an, uh, either a streaming service or like, I mean, I guess Hulu and ESPN, because they're affiliated with that Disney Hulu ESPN thing. Mm-hmm. Perhaps they could like collectively bid on it or something I think you're going to see a little bit of a creative rights deal when um, it comes up just because of the uh, uh, how prevalent streaming is now I think yeah hopefully it's a streaming service I already have (laughs) (laughs) Um, the other thing I wanted to point out is the National Women's Hockey League is playing right now and um, it's really exciting. It's on Twitch. I know JT Brown is doing a lot of stuff with it. So definitely check that out if you can. And before NBCSN bites the dust, they're going to host, I believe, the semifinals and finals. Um, so that's really exciting to, to get to see those games. They are doing a bubble and um, I also wanted to point out that every single player is wearing a patch that says end racism, which that right there is more than the NHL did in the entirety of their bubble. So that's amazing. Um, And I say the NHL, I'm not saying Matt Dumba or any of the players, obviously they did more than like a patch, just a patch, but the NHL just had the like end racism Thing on their screen and it ended up saying racism racism yeah. <laughs> they didn't really do much the other thing I wanted to point out is obviously a big news story this week was the line a Dubois trade I'm going to cover that in the next segment and I'm going to go over what the return means for each team so with that we go to my weekly segment climbing the corporate ladder I still love that name I do too of all of the stupid division names <laughs> We'll start with the Honda West division and the theme of this week is fun facts. Um, So the first one, because Morgan and I like Royals, I did know this before, but just a little update. Prince Daniel of Sweden, the husband of the crown princess of Sweden, um, has a niece who is dating a draft pick of the Arizona Coyotes, and he made his NHL debut on Friday. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Interesting. Who knows if Prince Daniel was watching (laughs) over in Sweden, but... I love that connection. Interesting little fact there. Um, other fun fact, because the season was last season was halted due to COVID, the Biden-Harris campaign chartered the same plane that the Sharks used, and they just had the like, different paint on it, but it was the same crew and everything. So, like, the coach was saying, like, he talked to them, and they were talking about what it was like and stuff like that. Oh, my gosh. So, random is that crazy so there's your two stories that flight crew has yeah and like between professional athletes and now like future president and vice president like yeah pretty crazy um the last thing i want to talk about this is for morgan uh the evander kane jordan (laughs) bennington incident i just want to let you speak on that um, I immediately texted you saying I would volunteer to take Evander Kane's penalty minutes, uh, because really it, 
wasn't a slash. I think Bennington was just got in the way of Evander Kane's stick and it happened to be in a place where it hurt. And you know what? That's Bennington's fault. And yeah, I was, I, I laughed as soon as it all happened. I was like, wait, that happened. Right. And then they called a penalty and I was like, well, I would take those minutes for you if I was there. I, I, I put it in our show notes, Morgan volunteering is for the penalty box. So, I, I just had to put that in there because I needed yeah. to let a preemptive, like not during the rave segment for Morgan, but a rave nonetheless. And then their game yesterday in which like, what was it? Uh, St. Louis was losing like four to one and only had like four shots on goal or something like that. That was not Bennington though. That was that new guy who I said I did not know. And that's why I didn't yes. have a lot of confidence. And it was being a good thing. The guy's only played one game, but because that one game was so horrendous, his like um, goals against average, which it like averages out how many goals you allow over like 60 minute games to like say this is how many you would allow in a game it's like uh-huh. 17 or something insane like that or 12 or something really high like and Bennington's is like three or four which isn't great but it's like you look at the list three 17 Yikes. <laughs> it's a it's an interesting I love stuff. that for St. Louis though <laughs> and uh actually Alex Petrangelo is gonna play them soon this week so oh that's right be interesting to see mm-hmm. um Next, we have the uh, Scotia North Division, which the first thing, of course, I wanted to talk about is Pierre-Luc Dubois coming to the Winnipeg Jets. Um, Pierre-Luc Dubois is kind of an interesting story from his draft year. So Austin Matthews was the consensus number one. Patrick Laine was the consensus number two. More on him later. Um, But then uh, Yessa Pugliardi was kind of the consensus number three. And the Columbus Blue Jackets GM is Yarmo Kekalainen. And those are two Finnish names. And so you're like, (laughs) Finn, obviously going to pick the consensus third pick Finn. No, he's like, I want Pierre-Luc Dubois, the French Canadian. And it ended up being really great because Pierre-Luc Dubois was so good. He's such a good two-way center and definitely something Columbus needed. However... Obviously, he was coming up as a restricted free agent, and he made it clear that he did not want to play in Columbus long term. So he signed a two-year deal, which is a little puzzling, but partly, I think, because he had to, because he can only sign with the Blue Jackets and no one else they own to his rights. Um, But then he made it very clear he didn't want to play for them. And then I give Torts credit, their coach. He said, like, he wouldn't bench him and like ice time wasn't about like whether you wanted to be traded or not but then if you saw there's a thing going around twitter of a shift that he had one game where he then got benched for the whole period and even analytic guys were like why would you bench Dubois that makes no sense the video goes around it's like oh that makes sense the guy it looks like he's doing warm-ups I mean nothing like I think you I think there are more energetic efforts in like public skates it's so bad and so then he got healthy scratched the next game and then everyone's like this can't go on mm-hmm. he, and it, so it's kind of like he threw a little bit of a hissy fit and so then it's kind of funny because Columbus is widely regarded as like not one of the favorite places to play like that's why every time he Panarin he wanted to play in a big city and that's why he signed with New York but I think it's funny it's like Pierre Luc Dubois okay you don't like Columbus how about Winnipeg? And Winnipeg <laughs> is like the other place that there's a competition with Columbus. It's Columbus yeah. and Winnipeg. Um, so that was, and I think they say they're the two most common on no trade lists, Columbus and Winnipeg. Yikes. But I don't feel bad. I mean, obviously. Yeah. And I think for Winnipeg, since that's who we're talking about right now, they got a, the best player. But a lot of, if this is a good trade for them, hinges on whether he resigns or not. And what Line does with um, Columbus as far as resigning. But they gave up two assets, which is a lot. And so that was an interesting thing to see. Um, and they only got a third round pick with Dubois. The thing I'll say, their center depth, like look out Toronto in this North Division, they got some center depth now because they have um, 
Shifley, who's probably no, their number one center, definitely not as good as Matthews. Dubois, definitely not. But I mean, they're both like right up there with T- Matthews mm-hmm. and Tavares. You got Shifley and Dubois, but then you have um, uh, Paul Stasny as they traded for Vegas for him. And as a third line center, he's going to be way better than anyone's third line center. So pretty amazing stuff. So um, the other two things I want to talk about, I don't know what the heck's going on with Vancouver right now. They look terrible. Yeah. Uh, they really miss their goalie. They, letting Markstrom walk is a thing. And I have um, a friend who lives in San Antonio and he kind of just randomly picked the Canucks as his team to watch last year, mostly because of like, he liked their colors and like their logo and like he's in San Antonio. So why not just pick a random team? And so every time the Canucks play and I know he can watch, I'm like, okay, they're playing on ESPN tonight. And the other night they were playing on it. And I don't remember who they were playing. It might've been Montreal. And he texted Mm -hmm. me. He was like, so is Montreal this good or is Vancouver just really bad this year? And I like didn't know what to say. I felt so bad. I was like, the answer to that is yes. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was like, well, you know, the North, division is pretty stacked because <laughs> yeah Va- Vancouver the problem is because they have so many players in the like three to five million dollar range yeah they had to let people walk and so they didn't get better this off season and so it's like mm. what can you do um on the other hand the Canadians who they were playing they look amazing yeah um, so Jake Allen Getting him is a huge deal because then to take some of the pressure off of Carey Price, but Carey Price has looked like Carey, vintage Carey Price this season, which is obviously huge for them. But then the other thing, they kind of swooped in and got Tyler Toffoli, who the Canucks traded for last season, <laughs> right before COVID, had him play in the playoffs, but then they let him walk. And in letting him walk, um, I believe so they're doing all of these two game sets so in two Mm -hmm. games against the Canucks he had five goals in two games oh my god so (laughs) he's doing really well in Montreal so that's what's going on up in Canada right now um the mass mutual east division I think the biggest thing is what's happening with the capitals Mm -hmm. so they were fined a hundred thousand dollars and it's for breaking COVID-19 and you hear it and you're like oh man that's terrible what the heck were they doing blah 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 then you start to hear it and you start to see both sides and it 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 gets a little murky because the quote is social interactions among team members who are in close contact and who are not wearing face coverings basically they were staying in a hotel they couldn't leave the hotel and so different players had other players over into their rooms and they weren't distanced and wearing masks now i get it that's the rule however this, i should say it impacted the russians alex ovechkin of mckenny kuznetsov Dmitry orlov and Ilya samsonov and i will say there's a little bit of an anti-russian bias in the nhl okay just because like people have the like USSR communist right. Putin kind of thing. And there are some issues with Russian hockey, of course. But that, I mean, that's the thing that happens a lot. And you have your like Don Cherry types. Right. Never think they're good. But Ovi's wife went on Twitter and it got translated because she said I'm Russian and basically was like, they sit on the bench right next to each other every game and none of them are wearing masks. They yeah. hug each other after every goal and nobody's wearing masks. She's like, does it really matter? Like they weren't making out in the hotel room. She didn't say that, (laughs) but I'm saying that like, does it really matter? And I think that the point what the NHL is clearly doing though, I don't think the NHL is a hundred thousand dollars mad at the Washington capitals. I think in making the players go through the protocol and in finding them a hundred thousand dollars, it's just like a sign of don't try anything. Like they're the teacher who picked the one kid who did the little thing yeah the point of don't do anything big and it kind of it just that's the way the cookie crumbles it happened to the capitals I think maybe there was a better thing to make an example of because I really don't think it's necessary for them to miss games for a COVID protocol when there was no additional exposure outside of the team members like it just I I kind of see the point of like how is this that bad yeah I get what they're trying to do but still 
There are rule break rules broken, I'm sure, that are worse than this and more dangerous than this. And I'm the first to want all of the protocols. Right, same. And because when I first saw like the the quote from NHL of like the reasoning, my thought process was, was like, oh, they went like out to eat or something, or they interacted with someone not on the team that could potentially expose them and then the rest of the team. Like that was where I thought it was. But if it's just the four and they're in the hotel, like they still weren't exposed and therefore could have exposed the rest of the team and then their opponent. So it doesn't, the logic is not there because she's right. Like they sit next to each other on the bench all the time. They're hugging, they're in close contact. Like, it's a contact sport. They're contacting the other team and stuff. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, what is the risk increase from the people that you right. sit next to and hug and do all of that, having a night in a hotel room? What is the risk increase? And I just don't think it's, it's anything at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's so um, I kind of agree with her. I get what the NHL is trying to do. I think there's maybe a better incident to do that with yeah like I'm sure something will come along and it's like that would have been the one to make the example right yeah and this is the NHL so of course when that incident happens they won't do anything right this feels very like MLB-ish where it's like okay the Astros freaking cheated and won a World Series and you're not really gonna punish that that hard but like anyone who retaliates to them or it looks like they're retaliating against them gets a harsher punishment makes sense I yeah it's just it's weird but speaking of the, the Capitals, I have to talk about my Penguins having epic comeback against the Capitals, including a five-on-three shorthanded goal. I looked it up. I'm pretty sure the stat is, like, it's happened 14 times since, like, 2000 or something insane wow. like that. They not, Well, think about it. Five-on-three, you're just yeah. hemmed in there and hoping <laughs> they don't get a good shot off. Yeah. And if you can clear the zone, that's, like, a big deal. So I... The Penguins started out 0-2, losing both their games to Philly. And it's like, okay, they aren't looking good. Then they went down to the Capitals, and then they won it in overtime. It's like, okay, a little better. They're still not looking good. Then they went down to the Capitals even more, had that 5-on-3 shorthanded goal, and won in a shootout. And it's like, okay, they're 2-2, two and two, but it still doesn't feel good. And then they beat New York in overtime, too. And then this one... The last one they beat New York in, re- they got their first regulation. It was by the skin of their teeth. And I'm just sitting there like, okay, they're four and two. So I should be happy. But there hasn't been a win where I haven't been terrified. Yeah. So, and there's Gosh. definitely been losses where I resigned to the fact that it was a loss pretty early on. So they you sound like a Stars fan right now. <laughs> like, I feel like that's how I sounded all last year. I'm just like, can we please have some consistency and like play a game? Like, can we play a good game? Like start to finish good game. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention for Boston, it sounds like David Pasternak, who is out the whole season so far, um, is close to being back, which will be huge for them and for the division. He's their best player. He's pretty dynamic and just a game changer across the league changes how you defend the Bruins and everything so definitely something to watch when he comes back um and finally the central division or the discover central division have to make sure we say the the corporate sponsors uh Patrick Laine and Jack Roslick uh are now Blue Jackets and the coolest part of it and the part that everyone's talking about is that Jack Roslick is actually from Columbus so there are oh. photos of him like on the like midget blue jacket team. So he's wearing a jersey and the number that he's going to wear in Columbus. It's pretty oh. cool. Um, and he was like, he's, he's really, you can tell he's really stoked. And he was excited. He was like that Columbus made it a priority to try to get him in the line A trade. Obviously, talent wise, <laughs> Uh, Patrick Laine is the huge get. He has kind of had an up and down career, but he, next to Alex Ovechkin, probably has the best shot in the NHL. And so that can be huge for their power play. And he can be really dynamic. And I know Torts kind of gets a a rap as a coach, but I think if they both come in clean slate, it 
you never know how it can happen. And I think it, it might surprise some people. The big thing is in losing Pierre-Luc Dubois, they're really thin in the center position. And so what they're going to do with that, it sounds like a man by the name of Alexandre Texier, who is French-French, which is kind <laughs> of rare. And you have to say French-French because yeah. there are so few of them. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's going to be the first line center. And then Max Domi, who they got in the offseason, would be their second line center. But that's not great centered up. But we'll kind of see how that works out. I guess if they have a lot of wingers that are really talented and dynamic, it can kind of supplement. It'll be interesting to see. I do like, though, uh, they did, were doing, like, Zoom calls or something at the start of the – like, at one of the games with mm-hmm. Patrick Laine and Jack Rosovic. And they were separate. But they asked Laine, they're like, oh, yeah, like, what have you heard about Columbus? How, uh, how excited are you? And he's like, well, Jack won't shut up about it. <laughs> And he's like, yeah, he talks about it all the time. And I know some of that's probably playing it up for the cameras, but I thought yeah. it was so cute. And I'm just really excited. I'm going to be watching Blue Jackets games in the beginning just for the hometown connection. Yeah. So I thought that was cool. Um, of course, both Dubois and Line and Rosovic have to do their COVID protocols. Line is also injured. So that's a thing. But we'll see. Um, I did want to update. I had to make room for this in there. The Keith Yandel drama that we were talking about last mm-hmm. week where he wasn't going to play. Well, the, Panther, the Panthers, of course, changed their mind. So they decide, no, we're not going to sit him. We're going to play him. And, of course, he scores in his first game. Because of why not? Right. And then he's, he has two goals now, last I checked. Um, I listened to Spit and Chicklets because the co-host is, like, best friends with Keith Yandel. And... Reading between the lines of what he said, it sounds like the Panthers got a new GM and it sounds like he came in deciding that he didn't like Keith Yandel and kind of approached their first meeting. And this is obviously from Keith Yandel's perspective because this guy is his friend, but, and just came in and there wasn't really a conversation. It was like, no, and it wasn't even like, listen, because how most how most GMs, because obviously there's turnover when you change GMs, but how mm-hmm. most GMs go is they have like a week or two of practice or whatever, or just looking, they say, listen, I've been looking and I'm plotting the way our team is going. And this is where we're heading. And I don't really think that fits with your style. And so I'm going to try to find a trade that works for us, but then also hopefully get to you in a place that is more fitting to your style. Now, Keith Yandel has a full no trade. So they could say to him, now we need to talk about what you're willing to waive for. And most players are willing if they're saying, hey, we're going in a different style. They're willing to waive for a place that fits well for them. But that's not the way that conversation went. Mm. It was just like, we're scratching you. Um, and but then I said, but because this was before the trade had happened. But I was like, and uh, Columbus and Pierre-Luc Dubois have their issues too. And so I said, I ended it with the real housewives of hockey is definitely a thing because <laughs> it's all the drama right now. Yeah. So, yeah. but it seems like Keith Yandel is in for the foreseeable future. He's been playing well so far. He's playing like he did last year. He's not, he has his defensive struggles, but so does any good offensive defenseman in the NHL. So I, I mean, I think he's, if you look at him and don't think he's like second or third on the Panthers, as far as defensemen go, mm-hmm. like the only one I think is better is that Glad. I mean, and then you're going to bench him. That makes no sense. So yeah. anyways, um, I have the last bullet point for the show is COVID updates and stars returns. Cause they're kind of intertwined. Yes. So <laughs> the stars return. Yay. And immediately in the same division, the Hurricanes are now in COVID protocol and games get canceled. (laughs) And surprisingly, like from the new schedule that they released today, it didn't affect the Stars, which is kind of insane how they managed to miss that rescheduling. But you look at the schedule now and like they're pointing out, it's some intense scheduling. Like there is very little margin because all of the stoppages so far have only impacted the central so even the non-covid teams have been a little hurt by this it feels very much like the beginning of the mlb season where it was all in like one division Mm -hmm. um i did take notes from the stars first game because i was just too excited about it um 
because, you know, you hope your team that just went to the finals, it's going to come back strong. But with the Stars, I'll be honest, my my bar was low for them because you never know. And also it could be like, you know, the finals hangover where they're like, we just finished playing last season that lasted over a year. So we could be tired, but no, no, they came back and they were freaking amazing. And I've loved every moment of it, except for the fact that Jamie Benn is now hurt and day to day. Also somehow uh, Kiranta got hurt and he's has a lower body issue and did not play in the second game either. Although I couldn't really find if that's like, if he's now day to day too, but I know he's on IR. So I don't really know. Still not quite sure. Do you have to be on IR for a certain amount of days? Or uh, just like whenever? It, it depends if you're on IR versus LTIR. LTIR is when you actually get cap relief. And there's a number of days or a number of games. I believe it's 10 games you have to miss. And I don't know if it got, I don't think it got like downgraded because of the shortened season. But okay. I can, but if he, if you're going to miss nine games or something or eight games, I'll probably just put you on LTIR for the cap relief, but. Okay. Cause I only saw he was on IR and I really didn't even see any of the, uh, um, stars beat writers say like, oh, maybe this was the play that it happened on. Cause usually they speculate and I couldn't find it anywhere. And I don't remember seeing anything where I'm like, oh, he might be hurt. They um, have him on IR. The two people they have on LTIR are Steven Johns and Ben Bishop. Okay. Um, so the, the funny thing about their first game is they kind of did revert back to their game plan of the of last season where it was like take forever to get your first shot on goal in the first period and then the second period just go all the goals and then third period you kind of coast even though in the third period they didn't really coast. They still continued to uh, – score goals but holy crap their power play is insane and I'm gonna credit it to the fact that Rick Bonus is not the power play coach and we have a coach actually doing that because I know at one point he did take it over last year end of season slash I think even during postseason I can't quite remember but um their penalty kill looks amazing like I feel like I'm in an alternate universe because the stars are really good and but we've yet to see them uh play a lot of five on five quite frankly it's feels like it's mostly been special teams I've watched um but they have uh eight power play goals a shorty already um and I'm just like after their first game they led I mean it's only one game so obviously stats were skewed but they led in like power play goals penalty kill goals against goals for like I I literally I was like am I allowed to be this happy about the stars like you're just giving me expectations now I think being the late starter for a season you're just hoping they don't look like they don't have their game legs right you're just hoping they look like at the same level as the other team and I, I would have kind of been like oh if they lose they lose but like just don't look embarrassing yeah and then then to go to like oh they're ready yeah and considering they're playing Nashville who is basically their rival in the division uh, and Nashville looked awful in both they looked better in the second game but still fairly awful um and I just want to point out two things in that uh Dobie made his first ever career start on opening night and that was his hundredth career win and I think it was his ninth shutout. Don't quote me on that. I didn't write that one down, but I think it was his ninth shutout and like second against Nashville. And then Pavelski has a franchise record now um, for having getting seven points in first two games. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I think it's three goals and four assists. Um, that contract his, isn't looking bad right now. <laughs> right? Um, on... Friday's game uh him and Rajlov were on Hattie watch uh Giryanov already has two goals and I think an assist he did not make 15 minutes of play on Friday though I'm still keeping up with that he did make 15 minutes Sunday's game with with Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan both out 
if Rubens or Guriano could not get to 15 minutes, that would be like riot material. Unless right? they went ahead like eight nothing in the first 10 minutes. But if they right. didn't do that, like. And there was part of me that was like, oh, well, they've had a lot of power plays and on a couple of penalty kills. Maybe that's it. But I'm like, Guriano should be on the power play. Um, also, it it's still like in my head, I was like, this doesn't make sense because if uh, Guryanov is on the same line as Hints and they were both on the first line with Jamie Ben on game one, like in my mind, they should all be very close in minutes. And I think even Jamie Ben still had, I think he was only like a couple minutes behind Guryanov and Ice Time and he didn't even play the third period. Um, but yeah, just in case anyone was wondering, I am still keeping up with Ice Time and I have now deemed it the petty Ice Time tracker on Twitter. And um, someone on, I, I do it by after each period. And after the first period of game one, someone was like, oh, this doesn't have very much petty. I'm like, oh, it's only the first period of the first game. We have time. We have and plenty of time. Yeah, I was like, I'm not giving bonus any credit until Guriana plays 15 minutes for 10 straight games. Then we can circle back to this. I think you should start like putting emojis and stuff next to the times. Yes. Like reactions. I, when Garyanov got his hat trick, I did. And then I think it was like one of the first times he was like top three in the first period I did. And then it easily, it went away. So I was like, maybe that jinxes it, but we'll see. <laughs> um, I just want to point out, cause you talked about Dobie's hundred game win. Yes. Um, Jake Gensel got the go ahead goal against New York, um, yesterday on Sunday, I should say. And, uh, that was his hundredth NHL goal. Which is pretty amazing, considering considering his age, um, and the fact that he's a third round pick. I don't think many (laughs) third round picks get a hundred goals in their career, so pretty cool. Um, So with that, do we want to go on to rant and rave? Yes. Do you want me to go first? Sure. So my rant is just what's happening right now for me. Um, (laughs) It's snowing right now and that's fine like I live in Iowa what can you expect but like a few inches it snowed all day and we're like and I think it's still gonna snow a little bit more and we're at like a foot and that's just not cool like I really don't need that right now and it takes a lot for everyone to be like snowed in to the point where they're like, make sure your thermostats are up. So if we lose power, you're, you stay warm and stuff like that. So like, cause my town is used to snow. So yeah. the weather gods, whoever, I just could have done without this. If, it, if <laughs> I could have done four different days, not right in a row, but four different days of three inches, but maybe not all in one day. And see, as someone from North Texas, I can't even imagine what a foot of snow actually looks like. I can show you. (laughs) Um, My rant is stars related. Even though they had great games, I still came up with a rant. Um, And that rant is the fact that they're allowing fans at the stadium. And I realize they are one of three teams doing so. However... A team that just had 17 positive COVID cases truly has like no business having fans at the stadium. It's only around 4,000. That's still 4,000 too many, in my opinion. Why Um, not just the, like like the families I see the argument for. Yeah, I could see the families because you could spread them out in the suites. Mm -hmm. And they'd be definitely uh, social distanced. However, I saw people tweeting that they were at the games and they could overhear people saying like trying to get around the wearing of the mask by just constantly looking like they're eating through the whole game. Mm -hmm. So they wouldn't have to wear the mask. Uh, There was a video on Twitter that circulated about a woman complaining that she was being kicked to the curb because she was not wearing her mask because she has a medical problem and something with her jaw and blah, 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 which that's my rant but the rave part about that video is the fact that the stars employees are actually enforcing the mask rule um but again like it's not like we're in a lull in covid like we're in a spike so i just feel like zero fans is probably the best Mm -hmm. and on a personal note i just rather hear the ice sounds than like 
the crowd noise that is amplified because there's so few that I can actually hear them on the mics. The thing I would say too, like Philly did this and I thought it was really cool. They have, they invite one family of like first responders or like kind of COVID heroes. Yeah. And then they have like this like perched seats and stuff, but it's one family. So there is no danger. Right. I and I like think that's that. brilliant. And then, but then they get to talk about it before every game and like it's shown on TV and stuff because it's part of the pregame ceremony. It's like, that's so much more meaningful. And you can pipe in the crowd noise because like 10% full is not going to add a lot of crowd noise. Yeah. Also, I, and I meant to mention it in the MLB things is that there's going to be an issue apparently with spring training, which I don't even know when that's supposed to start. I guess they've just assumed it's supposed to start at normal time next month. Um, but the Cactus League is apparently not going to be able to practice in Arizona or something along those lines because like 20 mayors in Arizona signed something about not being able to, I didn't really read it because it made no sense to me because I was like, well, the Coyotes are playing in one of the cities whose mayors signed that thing and they have fans at their hockey game. So really, why are we contradicting ourselves here? But it's something that I'm going to keep track of because I don't really know how spring training is supposed to work anyway because no MLB is acting like COVID is not a thing because they haven't mentioned it and I'm baffled yeah so <sighs> but on to rants sports teams are always gonna be like that I just like there's always Truly. gonna be rants we will never not have rants honestly um but I'm really excited about this rave so yes. I have to share with y'all um this has been a, a little while coming, but my sister and I both actually uh, a while ago did the cheek swab thing where you send it in and they store it for be the match. And then mm-hmm. people with blood cancers um, when they need a uh, bone marrow or they can also get it's called uh, PBSC, which is peripheral blood stem cells. But I remembered that. Uh, <laughs> And it's, it's basically uh, for their bone marrow kind of production sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of times they don't have matches in their family because there's all these different markers that need to match. And so um, they go to this database. And then if you uh, are, the, if you match, then you have to do more tests. And then eventually you have to Uh, like if you agree to you can donate to a complete stranger and so my sister was contacted and said she had matched with someone and she needed to do more tests yes okay she is the person's match and so what she had to do is uh, for the last four or five days she had she's my sister's a resident physician so she had her nurse friends uh, inject her with uh, this drug to produce more blood stem cells And then she and my mom flew to Oklahoma City, um, where she spent all of today, Monday, uh, in the hospital. And it's just, it's it's not even like, it's like giving blood. Basically, what Mm -hmm. they do is they take the blood out, they get the blood stem cells, and then they put the blood back in you. So that's how that works. But I'm just so proud because she, it's for, she only knows uh, the person's like age and gender and like a few things about this person she doesn't know anything else and it's not pleasant obviously it's bearable but she had to like spend a whole day giving blood basically and then all of those injections and all of this and I thought it was really cool and I'm just really proud and also a PSA um, if you are between the ages of 18 and 45 you can request a kit from Be The Match and it's free. I will say, please don't request the kit if you're not going to use this because I found this stat from their site. Over 50% of people on there who are contacted for a match, which is a small percentage, back out. So obviously you can't know for sure if you're gonna say yes or not, but please try to do some thinking about it before you sign up for it. Mm -hmm. And um, I know it's scary, but my sister, can tell like she's told me about what's happened and stuff it's definitely bearable Mm -hmm. and even the the bone marrow one which is the less common but a little more involved one Mm -hmm. is totally bearable 
and obviously there are risks and all of that and you should always evaluate it but I just think it's, it's so important to remember that like you're saving another human's life like yeah. even if you can't uh like if you don't know this person when they give you the age and like the description and stuff just find a photo or think of a family member and so, or something and humanize that say this is who I'm saving even if it's not that person just so you know and I yeah. guess I guess just a real encouragement because I'm so proud of my sister and I think it's a really cool thing to do. And this is one of the few things that we can donate without having some kind of horrible tragedy involved. Yeah. So uh, just an encouragement for you all to join and to think about that. That's really cool. Um, Bye, Rave. It's not so serious. So it's (laughs) kind of a weird transition, but we've done a lot of those on these episodes. Um, So my Rave is the fashion we saw at the inauguration because it I thought it was funny how a lot of people on Instagram were like raving about monochrome because if you follow royals that's fairly how most of them dressed is monochrome so to me I was like oh this is this is like royal fashion they're taking inspiration from but everybody was like so focused on that it kind of like surprised me I was kind of like well this is normal right and then it kind of dawned on me that yeah I guess usually people would put like a different color coat over their dress or whatever but I'm like obsessed I cannot look at these outfits enough like the colors like I I love jewel tone colors so the fact that pretty much every all of the women wore them were just stunning they all had um like I, I know Kamala and Jill Biden both had like uh, smaller, like up and coming designers. I think Kamala also had a black designer. She did. Yeah. And like me and Laura freaking love like the stories behind outfits and stuff too, as well as like just the looking at the outfit mm-hmm. itself. Um, but I like really enjoy, I loved how they all had their masks that match the outfit it just I like I kind of want every single outfit in my own wardrobe if I could afford it um I also I don't know if you saw this but Jill Biden's outfit for the evening where she had every flower from each state Mm -hmm. on her uh both the bottom of the coat and top of the dress and immediately my thought was Megan's veil when she did every flower from the Commonwealth countries, which I just died over. I just, I like those little like connections. And I know she had the Delaware state flower, like closest to her heart. I think even her mask had the Delaware flower, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but just like the little touches they all had. And I don't know, in my mind, I like to think that they all had like a group text and we're like, we're wearing jewel tones. Which color are you going to wear? I'm going to wear purple. You can wear blue. Like it, I just loved it. And I think the Jill thing, like getting mildly political here, I think it was so important and a really good statement on her part mm-hmm. because clearly a theme of the day was, okay, elections over like this is a new day we're moving on and we want to have some kind of unity and like Mm -hmm. bring some sanity back and so I think having all 50 states is really a thing because this is a few months from a good chunk of those states not voting for her husband Mm -hmm. and it, it that had nothing to do with it I think so I think there's like a really profound statement there and it kind of goes to show I think a lot of people reflexively dismiss fashion yeah really can be so powerful the the choices that you make and I think also it was important about the fact that she did use all those all the flowers because you know one of their main messages has been unity and one of the things that uh President Biden has been saying is that he will represent everyone equally, even the people who didn't vote for him. So the fact that she did have everyone because he has been so um, adamant about mentioning he is going to represent everyone as a president should, considering the last one was unwilling to. um, I think that like says a lot, even if, you know, you don't really care for politics, you see the fashion, you get the story behind it. And then 
it's still it's it's sending a message a message without it overtly being political and I think there's a way to be in an opposite party and have a fine relationship like I actually remember so my sister's graduation year um Joe Biden and John Boehner, who was the former Republican Speaker of the House, mm-hmm. were honored at Notre Dame. And so they both gave speeches. And it was they were basically honored together as like examples of bipartisanship. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a way to, to be on opposite sides. And I just want to get back to that because in reading a lot about um, early, because I'm reading a book about every American president. Yes. And reading through it, you really do go to see how how much better policy is when there's mm-hmm. someone opposing it. So yeah. even if whatever side you're on, you should want a really healthy opposition that has like strong arguments and good points, because then it only makes the policy that your side creates better. And the unforeseen circumstances aren't unforeseen. They like yeah. happen in the crafting of the legislation. Yeah. And did you see that um, in the Oval Office, Biden put a portrait of Jefferson and Hamilton next to each other because they were always arguing and that's what like helped them make good policy. And that's the thing. So and and kind of the interesting thing was, so in the beginning, it was all Hamilton, all Federalist. Then it was all Jefferson for a while. And it was kind of like the pendulum swung too far in both directions. And then they had these new parties kind of like, hey, we can get like, you don't have to be like outrageously one Mm -hmm. or the other. Like we can kind of coalesce around these ideas. And then there's really interesting things that can happen. And so I, I... I, I know that Biden is capable of that and I'm kind of excited that um, he's like that's the tone that he's starting off with because yeah. I just beyond just like you can have whatever thoughts you ha- have about the different politicians and stuff but it would be nice if like something can get done yeah and I think that happens when there's really healthy debate and productive debate yeah and actually and- like the senator who I'm not such a fan of, but Ben Sass from Nebraska, he had actually a really good, he waited a year to give a maiden speech when he was in the Senate, which used to be done all the time. Like he didn't speak on the floor until after a year in office. And then he gave this speech and the ideas in it are actually quite good because he's like, people say we need to argue less and I disagree. We need to argue better. And I think, I think Republican, Democrat, clown I don't care whatever party you're from you should be able to agree that that is probably a good goal now how you get there you can disagree on that but I think that that's where I would like to see yeah and I feel like I mean I think we saw like with Biden like he was friends with John McCain and they're from different parties and like I always think about how like Michelle Obama and George Bush seem like best friends when they're together and that's so fascinating to me because republican democrat like you wouldn't really expect it um obviously i'm not like we don't have to unify with ted cruz he can go away for all i care <laughs> yeah you don't have to unify with everyone <laughs> yeah we're, we're not we're not saying that but like the reasonable ones maybe we should like yeah bye. and that's i think a thing too is like in your own party like it's because it's kind of been frustrating to see a little bit on the republican side and then, but then i mean you see it on the democrat side too mm-hmm. where people it's like you get your nut cases <laughs> and people feel like they need to like say well but and it's like no you can just say hey they're way out there and way wrong and i want nothing to do with them like yeah. i don't want their unity i don't want to unify with them like, if they vote for my guy, well, that might help my guy get elected, but that's all I, I'm not going to thank them for that. I'm not. Yeah. And I think we got a lot of that in the Trump White House and Republicans of stuff where people were willing to unify with people that they shouldn't have been willing to unify with. Yeah. So just hope for going forward. <laughs> I, I'm feeling so much like hope. Yes. So, 
and of course in like a few months I'll probably be saying all that (laughs) has changed because it'll get chaos but it's a nice way to start things off it definitely feels more hopeful than it did the last four years I definitely okay I can check the news now without fear of a panic attack every time I open Twitter yeah Twitter the news <laughs> like all of that kind of stuff like a like state of the union you can actually follow it right Which, I again seemed... that's not a partisan thing because like <laughs> I would take a George Bush state of the union 15 times out of 10 over a Trump yeah union like it's just I can't follow right the other day someone retweeted um one of Biden's tweets and I was like oh my god this is the first time in four years I'm reading a tweet from the president and it's not embarrassing or anxiety inducing this is amazing Kansas is where the the Chiefs play oh my god and it wasn't in all caps and it was complete sentences so this is like my part two rave <laughs> so that was I, I like that it turned into that because we say sports and life I think that was a good yeah. life chat and a good way to end yeah. the the show so with that we will see you all next week and have a good week everyone bye guys <laughs>